The new NFL season begins next weekend, but for the first time in 20 years, Tom Brady is not going to be the starting quarterback for the New England Patriots. Tom Brady is going to be the starting quarterback next Sunday for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, if you're not a football fan, this is all the history you need to know, the background you need to know to think about this issue. Tom Brady is widely regarded as GOAT, G-O-A-T, the greatest of all time. In a league where most players play two or three years, NFL is known as an acronym by the players as not for long. They play two or three years and then they get replaced by a younger, healthier player. Tom Brady has been playing football for 20 years. And in a league which is designed to promote parity, the notion that any team can win the Super Bowl in any given year, and that no team should be winning Super Bowls year after year after year, Tom Brady has led his team to unprecedented dynasty in those years. In 20 years, he's led the Patriots to 17 playoff appearances, 13 division titles, nine Super Bowl appearances. Pause there. That means that in just under half of his seasons, he led the team to the Super Bowl, and the team won six of those games. That record of success for so many years is literally without precedent in the long history of the league. But this year, instead of retiring as a Patriot or playing another season for the Patriots, he is going to be Buccaneer Brady. And my question is, how should we think about Buccaneer Brady? Should we be angry at Brady? that he left the team that he's been leading for 20 years? Or should we be happy for Brady that he is doing what he wants to do, that he's writing a new chapter? Could we, should we bring ourselves to root for Buccaneer Brady? And this is not just a football issue. This is a football expression of a deep human issue that 100% of us, whether we're football fans or not, sports fans or not, if you're a human being, you own this issue. And the issue, quite simply, is this. What we love the most in life, we cannot hold on to. What we love the most in life very often just slips out of our hands. We cannot hold on to our own children who grow up and grow out and leave our home and live in cities that may not be where their parents live, and we just don't see them very often. We know that happens. In fact, one of the things that I've heard most commonly during the last six months, I've heard this from too many parents to count, is that the great silver lining of the pandemic is, you know, my child, my adult child came home. Originally, they were going to come for two weeks, three weeks. My son, my daughter, has now been with us four months, five months, six months. What a silver lining. The last time I saw my son or daughter regularly was when they were 18, their high school senior year. It's just so amazing to see them in life for months at a time. We cannot hold on to our parents 
especially our elderly parents, as they confront the inevitability of aging. I'll never forget the time that I went to the 100th birthday party of Dorothy Edelman. She would go on to live to almost 103, but on this day she was only 100. And there we were at her lustrous milestone, and she was very excited to introduce me to her doctor. So I said to her doctor, wow, wow, thank you. Thank you for your care that helped allow Dorothy to reach this occasion. And he shrugged it off and he said, no, 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 you don't understand. It has nothing to do with me. My job is to get my patients who are in their 80s to their 90th birthday. And then I always tell them once they're in their 90s, what happens next is between them and God. We can't hold on to our children who grow up and out. We cannot hold on to our parents. We cannot hold on to our youth, to our wrinkle-free faces, to our hair or hair color. The pandemic has reminded us that we cannot hold on to the health or the wealth very often that we've worked so hard to attain. So Tom Brady leaving the team after 20 years is just one vivid illustration of this universal human problem, that what we love the most, we do not own. And very often, what we love the most, we cannot keep. Now our Torah reading on Rosh Hashanah, the one that we read two weeks from today, speaks exactly to this dilemma. Uh, it's about Sarah. Now, Sarah is introduced to us as a barren woman, that she is akara, barren, ain lavalad, she can't have a baby. That's the pathos of her life. And our Torah reading on Rosh Hashanah begins, Vadanoi pakad et Sarah. God pakads Sarah. And the question is, what does pakad mean? And the way that this word is always translated in this verse is, Pakad means remember. God remembers Sarah. God remembers the promises God had made that they would have children too numerous to count. And belatedly, on his own time, God remembers Sarah and she gets pregnant. And that's how it's translated, and that's a lovely story. There's only one problem with that translation. Rabbi Harold Kushner has pointed out that the word pakad occurs many times in the Hebrew Bible. But this is the only time that it is ever translated as remember. Every other time the word pakat has a different meaning, which is, I'm entrusting something to you temporarily. Something that is yours for now, but it's not forever. You're going to have to give it up eventually. There's a famous Mishnah, for example, that uses the word this way, hamafkid okelim. A person entrusts temporarily an animal or some other item of value to another person for temporary safekeeping, yours for now, not forever. And that explanation, that meaning, really makes the most sense in this story. It's as if God says to Sarah on Rosh Hashanah's reading, hey, listen, I've got good news and bad news for you. The good news is that you've always wanted a child. You've wanted to hold a baby, and the good news is you're going to get that baby. Here's the bad news. 
you don't own that baby. That baby's gonna grow up and grow out. That baby's gonna be a human adult that you can't protect. You're not gonna be able to protect where your child goes, what your child does, where your child lives. And so you're gonna end up with this irony that this child you want and what you love most in the world, out of your control. Yours for now, but not forever. And so our reading reminds us on Rosh Hashanah that what we love most is ours temporarily, not permanently, ours for now, not forever, and that applies to everything. That applies to our children, and it applies to our parents, and it applies to our health, and ultimately it applies to our own life. And here's the question. Is this fact something that we have to rue and lament? Or is there another way to look at it? So in one of the great sermons ever given by a rabbi named Milton Steinberg, who wrote it as a driven leaf, many people know him from that book. He was the rabbi in New York at Park Avenue Synagogue. He himself had some health struggles. And when he emerged from six weeks of being in the hospital after a heart attack, he wrote this sermon called To Hold With Open Arms. And it's really a reflection about our own mortality. And he says the following things, and it's just so powerful. He says that what is inevitable, we might as well make our peace with. What is inevitable, we might as well make our peace with. That there's no point in resisting what can't be resisted. And that the better move is to do a jujitsu move. You take what is and you turn it into a blessing. So here's the question. How do we do a jujitsu move here? How do we take what is, namely, that what is ours is ours for now, not forever. It's not permanently ours. How do we turn that into a blessing? So last Shabbos, last Saturday morning, my very best friend in the world lost his mother. This is my oldest and dearest friend. He first introduced me to Shira. He sang at our wedding. I just love this guy. And last Saturday, his mother died. Her name was Stella. Stella Rabiner. And truly a remarkable story. She's born in a village in Poland uh, this village borders another place in Poland named Auschwitz. And for the first eight years of her life, Stella has a nice middle-class Polish village existence. And then Hitler comes to power, and of course, her life is never the same, and that of her family is never the same. And for reasons and mysteries that nobody will ever understand, mysteries that nobody will ever understand. Her sister and much of her family goes to Auschwitz where they all perish. For reasons and mysteries that no one understands, she doesn't go to Auschwitz. She goes to a labor camp in Siberia. Now, labor camp in Siberia is miserable and it is grueling 
and she has to do hard manual labor. She literally saws down trees in the forest. It's cold in Siberia, especially in the winter. She doesn't have clothes, she doesn't have boots, and she has to do this hard manual labor on no food, they have no rations. Somehow she survives that. She's a teenager when she does. She survives and when the war is over, she is now living without most of her family. And the KGB or a proto-precursor of the KGB wants to get her to spy on fellow Jews. And so she somehow figures out, she's 20 years old, how to get herself smuggled out of Eastern Europe, and she's smuggled in a suitcase at the age of 20, 21, and then she makes a new life for herself and freedom in our great country in America. Roll the film forward. She dies last Saturday at the age of 95. And Sunday night was her Zoom memorial service. And all of her grandchildren spoke about their grandma, Stella. And I was, as I was listening to their words, and also to the emotion with which they spoke them, it dawned on me that there's basically two different kinds of reactions of grandchildren to the death of a grandparent. One reaction of grandchildren to the death of a grandparent is polite, decorous, restrained. And one reaction is full-throated, deep emotion, sobbing, grief-stricken. Every one of these grandchildren was that. Full-throated, deep emotion, grief-stricken. Each one said something like, Stella Ravner was my hero. I want to be like her. I will always aspire to be like her. She's what I need. And her spirit is what is going to carry me through life. And that's not inevitable. That is not inevitable. That is rare. And the question is, what was her secret sauce? And I think this is what Stella Ravner's secret sauce was. She got at a very deep level that what is ours is ours temporarily, not permanently. She got at a deep level that what is ours is ours for now, but not forever. And that leaves every one of us with a choice. We could be angry about it. We could be angry that we loved and we lost and we don't have and we're angry. Or we could be philosophical about it and say, okay, now how do I make the world that is into a better world? When she came to this country, she was bound and determined she was not going to be angry and she was not going to complain. And all of her grandchildren pointed out that even though she had so much to complain about, never, not once, did she complain. Instead, how do I make the world that is a better world? So for example, and she did this every day of her life, here's just one example that just dawned on me, is so poignant. When she was in Siberia, she learned Russian. Roll the film forward, she's now in suburban New Jersey and Passaic, New Jersey in the 70s. Soviet Jews start coming to America, 60s and in the 70s. And what she decides to do is to use her Russian to help them 
acclimate to America. And one of her pet projects is running seders for Russian Jews. Russian Jews don't know English. Russian Jews at that time did not know Hebrew. Russian Jews did not know Judaism. They did not know seders. But they did know kindness when they found it. And they found it in her, Stella Rabner. And stories like that inspire undying love. So this pandemic has only reminded us of what we've always known, which is what is ours is ours for now, but not forever. And that could make us angry. We could root against Buccaneer Brady. Or it could make us philosophical and wise and generous. We could root for Buccaneer Brady because we know down deep that we're going to savor what we have while we have it. While we have it, we're going to try to make it ever better, tweak it, make it better, dip deeper, richer. And when that time comes, we're going to let it go. We're going to let it go with love. We're going to let it go with blessing. Because we know down deep, it was never ours forever. Shabbat Shalom.